0: Come on. Everybody say Acts. All right. If you got a Bible, go to Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7. Yeah, we get excited about the Word of God. We love the Word of God. It's better than the NBA Finals. It's better than Golden State Warriors. It's better than Steph Curry. It's better than your favorite team, Boston Celtics. It's better than whatever you've been watching on TV. We Listen, if the world gets to shout for all the sports teams and celebrities, we should shout for the Bible. This is a first down. When we open up the Bible, that first scripture, it's like a big first down for our home team. So Acts chapter 7, verse 1. And uh, we have been in this series on Acts these last seven weeks. It's my favorite series we've done as a church. It is a 28-chapter book that we're going to stay in until we finish, line upon line, verse upon verse. We've been talking about how God birthed his early church with unity, with prayer, with uh, a a commitment to serve one another, help one another, um, helping the poor, being generous. By the way, y'all's generosity has been helping so many people these last several weeks. We've been able to minister. Our benevolence ministry has just increased so much um, because of this series. People are catching wind of, of what happened in the early church in the book of Acts how they helped take care of each other's needs. And people are saying, what can I do for others? I got an email yesterday uh, from from several of our single parent moms saying, thank you for the single parent ministry. You guys came out, you mowed my lawn, you fixed my car. There's people in the church that are just ministering, meeting people's needs, showing up for people. And so when we got to last week, we talked about at the end of Acts 6, how Stephen was chosen among six other guys to help minister to widows. And they were helping wait on tables. They were um, giving out food. They were working at a restaurant that just gave food out for free to all those who were widows. By the way, we have a widow's ministry here at Victory, Widows and Widowers, where we are constantly uh, ministering and helping take care of widows. If you are one, let us know. We wanna get you on that list to minister to you, take care of you. That's the heart of God is to minister to widows and orphans looking out for one another. And uh, my mom does a great job working with Grand Grand to find out as many widows widowers that we can serve here in the church. But Stephen was one of these guys that was doing that. And all of a sudden people started stirring up slander against Stephen. They started saying, this guy has been preaching the gospel while he's waiting on tables. He's one of those waiters at Cheesecake Factory that just wants to minister to you. He's one of those (laughs) guys. Y'all know, you know, those waiters and waitresses at restaurants that just witness here in Tulsa. I'm so thankful they're from our church. They're just sharing the love of Jesus they're encouraging you. I'm so, I'd rather have a waiter-waitress that's that, that speaking encouragement, that's witnessing, than one that's angry and rude and frustrated. By the way, make sure you tip your waiters and waitresses. You don't know what they're walking through. We don't know what they're dealing with. And uh, we don't know what, what's causing the hurt or the pain. We all have battles we're going through. But Stephen was witnessing. He was sharing the gospel and people got angry. At the end of Acts chapter 6, he was thrown in a circle of a, a group called the Sanhedrin. They were looking intently at Stephen. They were frustrated. They were bitter. They were mad at him. And in verse 1 of Acts chapter 7, it said, the high priest asked Stephen, are these charges that everyone is bringing against you true? Are they true? Are these things so? And I want to title this message, I Forgive You. Turn to that person next to you and say, I can you say it? (laughs) You're like, don't make me say that right now. You don't know what kind of fight we had before walking into church. You don't know what it was like in the minivan with our kids on the way here. Oh, trust me. We know. We know. Just say, I forgive you. I forgive you. Three of the most powerful words in the world. Three of the most powerful words are, I forgive you. Those words can change the world. Those words can heal families. They can restore relationships. Those words can stop someone from doing something extremely harmful to their life, to the lives of others. If only we walked in more forgiveness, our world would be in a better place. It's one of those meat and potatoes messages. It's not super complex. It's all throughout scripture, but forgiveness is a big idea. It's a very hard thing to do. Thousands of times it's mentioned from Genesis to Revelation, not just forgiveness of mankind towards one another, but most importantly, the forgiveness we all need from God. I mean, in the beginning, when man sinned, the very first thing that happened was man ran from God, hid from God, ashamed in sin. Feeling overwhelmed in our our guilt, in our sense of God, could never forgive me if he knew what I did. And because he can't forgive me, I'm going to pass this same shame on to my kids. From Adam and Eve, they have children. And what are their kids' names? Cain and Abel. And what happens with their shame and unforgiveness? It leads to more hurt. See, undealt with resentment, shame, hurt, anger just keeps being passed on from generation to generation. From Cain and Abel, it would later on be passed down to Noah and his kids. From Noah and his kids, it'd be passed down to Abraham and Lot. Between Abraham and Lot, they just couldn't get along with each other. It would be passed down to Isaac and Ishmael. And between Isaac and Ishmael, it would be passed down to Jacob and Esau. And we see these brothers hating each other. And you go, what does this have to do with 2022? What does this have to do with what I'm going through right now in my family? What's going on in America right now? What does this have to do with the shootings that have been happening in our nation? It has everything to do with what we're seeing right now in our nation. Nine days ago, a shooting that happened in our own city at St. Francis Hospital was an act of extreme hatred, an act of undealt with resentment. And I know that there was demonic strongholds that were messing with this man's mind, but ultimately anger that is undealt with that starts at a young age. That's passed down from one dad to another dad, to another dad, to a son, to a son, to a son. As that anger builds up, the ultimate act of anger is murder. As as policemen and and federal investigators were looking into what happened in Tulsa what happened in Uvalde, Texas, and what happened in all of these different shootings. It all comes back to people who who carry a grudge, a bitterness in their heart towards any institution, any person, any family, a father, a mother, a son, a daughter. That undealt with anger starts festering. It starts festering. It starts building up. And so today we're going to... Talk about it. This is why it's so important for us to guard our hearts because here Stephen is faced with all these religious people who claim to be followers of God, believers in God. And by the end of Acts chapter 7, the same guys who are inviting people into the temple to hear the gospel pick up stones and stone this young man, Stephen, to death. Literally in front of everyone, they stone a man to death. But I want us to look at the story of Acts chapter 7 because it is a story of forgiveness. It says, so Stephen began to preach to the Sanhedrin. He says, brothers and fathers, listen to me. The God of glory appeared to our father, Abraham. He starts with the Old Testament. He says, it was Abraham that God called. And when Abraham left the place he was in and went to an unknown place, God spoke to him and told him he would give him children. But when that didn't work out at first, Abraham got, you know, uh, Abraham didn't know what to do until he trusted God. And God blessed him with a child, Isaac. And, And then through Isaac came Jacob. And then Jacob had 12 patriarchs. And we get to verse nine. It says, because the patriarchs were jealous of Joseph, they sold him into Egypt. Now, Stephen, the martyr in the book of Acts, is preaching a sermon about Joseph. And I just think this is ironic that Stephen is about to show radical forgiveness and he decides to spend several scriptures talking about a guy who modeled forgiveness best in the Old Testament, Joseph was one of the greatest examples of forgiveness that we can look at, and, and it doesn't mean that it's easy. Like forgiveness is not easy. it is hard. How many of y'all know forgiveness is hard sometimes? You're like, "I am still dealing with it. You talking about it is making me want to leave right now. I need to take a bathroom break. This is not my sermon. Let's just for a second talk about why forgiveness is hard. Why is forgiveness a hard thing? Why is it such a difficult thing? for us to forgive. Ultimately, I think we need to define where unforgiveness comes from, this bitterness of what happens when we are hurt. Let's define bitterness. Bitterness is anger and disappointment at being treated unfairly. Now, all of us in this room are going to experience some unfair treatment, all of us. I don't even have to ask the question. You've all been treated unfairly. All of us have been offended. Luke 17 verse one says offenses will come. In other words, you will have offenses come into your life disappointments will come, all of us in this room. I don't have to ask the question. We've all been disappointed. It's not if you get disappointed, if you get hurt, if you get offended. It's what you do once it happens. Some people go, that hurt, that was painful, but I would rather get on the path of forgiveness than get on a path of revenge and bitterness. Because if I'm on the path of forgiveness, I get better, my family gets better, I don't deal with so much cynicism, resentment, anger. I don't repeat the cycle of pain on more people. If I can get on the path of forgiveness, it doesn't mean that I've all of a sudden just forgotten what they did to me or that I excused their poor choices. Forgiveness does not mean that what they did is okay. It just means I am not going to let this fester. Bitterness festers. It's a deep resentment. It's a dwelling. It's a sadness. It's, I just can't get past this. I just can't get past this. I remember reading this article by um, John Mayer, a a famous secular musician, singer, songwriter. And he said, you know, when I I got wealthy and famous, I had enough money to purchase a good house in in, in LA area, around the Hollywood area. He said, down the street was Jamie Foxx, Robert Downey Jr., these you know, famous celebrities, and he said, I had enough money to build a good wall so that people couldn't see into my yard. The wall was strong. It, it was a wall that would guard and protect my house. I had a gate that was high, 12 to 14 feet high gate, I paid for security that would monitor looking out for me, making sure they're guarding my house, guarding me because there was crazy fans that were trying to come after John Mayer. He said, not only that, I paid for the most complex security system. I had an alarm system, locks on every door. Nobody could get into my house. I paid so much money. He says, this is what celebrities do. We pay the highest amount of money for walls, gates, security systems, alarms, locks on doors. And he said, then I sit down at my laptop and I start reading the reviews about my latest songs. I start reading the tabloids about what people are saying about me and my relationships. And he said, I start reading the most horrendous things. And suddenly these comments hop over the wall, bypass the alarm system, get through the locked doors and go straight into my heart. And he said, as celebrities, we are the worst at guarding our hearts. We're the best at guarding our houses, the best at guarding our external stuff, but the worst at guarding our hearts. Now, this is a secular person talking. As Christians, we know we are called, most of all, guard your heart above all else. Proverbs 4, verse 23 says, guard your heart more than anything else. What did Stephen need to know going into this circle of people that were ravenous, wolves waiting to attack him? He needed to know. You may not be able to convince these guys. No matter how much explaining you do, some people are committed to misunderstanding you. You know what I'm talking about? And here Stephen is. He's preaching this incredible message from the Old Testament to the New Testament, and these people are growling at him. The Bible actually says they're grinding their teeth. They're grinding their teeth. And Stephen is doing his best to preach, and all of a sudden, everybody said, Guard your heart. Guard your heart. Guard your heart. We're in a world of people who have unguarded hearts, and anything can come in. I wanna look at, he starts talking about Joseph here. He says, There was a jealousy towards Joseph, and out of their jealousy, The anger led them to almost murder him, but instead of murdering him, they thought, let's make money off him. So they sold him as a slave into Egypt, but God was with him. And God rescued Joseph from all of his troubles. Can I tell you something? When you guard your heart, God looks out for you. When you stay in a place of love and mercy, God is with you. You might still go through valleys. You might still go through hurts. You might still feel like you are in the bottom of the pit. You might still feel abandoned. I'm not saying that everybody's going to like you. That is not a promise in the Bible. But God will be with you. God is with you. And you and God are the majority. If you got God with you, if you can be right with God in your heart, the most important person to be right with is God. I'd rather be right with God and wrong with everybody else than be right with everybody else but wrong with God. But we live in a world where we want to be popular. We want to be liked. We want everybody to approve of us. And that's a tough thing. Because Joseph here finds himself alone with God and God would rescue him from his troubles. And Stephen says he gave Joseph wisdom and enabled him to gain gain the goodwill of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. So Pharaoh made him the ruler over Egypt and all his palace because Joseph was walking with a guarded heart, a love, a forgiveness. God promoted him. God lifted him up. But then a famine struck all of Egypt and Canaan, verse 11, bringing great suffering, and our ancestors could not find food. Who were the ancestors? The 12 brothers who almost killed Joseph, tried to assassinate him, but instead sold him as a slave. This is why we got to be careful. When we burn a bridge, we might have to cross the same bridge we burned. Never burn a bridge. Try your best to do everything you can to make it right. So here it is. The same brothers who sold him, when Jacob heard there was grain in Egypt, verse 12, he sent our forefathers on their first visit. On their second visit, Joseph saw his brothers and he told him who he was. I wanna go back to that moment. Let's, let's go back in the Old Testament to Genesis 45. Genesis 45, in fact, let's look at Genesis, before we go to Genesis 45, let's look at Genesis 42. Genesis 42, you all with me this morning? Can we dive into Bible study? Genesis 42, what does forgiveness look like? And we'll start with verse five. So Israel's sons were among those who went to buy grain for there was a famine in the land of Canaan. And in verse six, now Joseph was the governor of the land. So when Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. And verse seven, as soon as Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them, but he pretended to be a stranger and he spoke harshly to them. You can see the human side of Joseph here. It's not that he had the most guarded, perfect heart of forgiveness. He's still dealing with the, you think you forgave someone until you run into them at Target again. You know what I'm saying? Like, I was good until your name popped up on Facebook, on, on, on Instagram. I was okay. We were doing good until we ran into them at Walgreens and it's like, your heart starts beating again. The blood pressure starts to rise. Ru- can I talk to some real people at church today? anyone in the room, you, you're it's forgiveness is a process. It's a process. Even as I'm preaching right now, I could just feel the Holy spirit gone. Yes, I do. I feel the Holy spirit gone. Yeah. Don't be mad if you're in a process. At least you're in a process. I'd rather be in a process that's painful and uncomfortable, but it's headed in the right direction than be on the other path of, I don't even want to see them again. I never want to look at them, never want to talk to them. I am done, I have canceled, I am so done with them. You know what I'm saying? Because that path, that path is where some of these shooters ended up. That path is where families have been broken and pulled apart. That path is where toxicity gets passed on. I remember going to this counselor several years ago and they were talking to me about the importance of forgiveness. And they said, how many times have you been disappointed as a pastor's kid, growing up in the church, families, situations that happen with your dad and mom, situations that happen with you, and, and, and as a pastor, and I was like, oh, too many to count. And so the counselor said, let's start unpacking it. And, and she, she said this to me and Ashley. She was a, an older pastor's wife named Denise, and she said, each of these disappointments is like a rock. I need some help this morning. Uh, Tim, would you help me out? I want you to just put this backpack on in front of you. Wear it like one of those baby... What's it called, a baby Bjorn or something? Is that what it is called? Yeah. So a lot of us in this room, we go, I'm gonna guard my heart, I'm gonna guard my heart. And as soon as something bad happens in our life, someone hurts us, someone says something mean to us, someone does something to us and we go, that was so wrong, that was so wrong, that was so wrong, but I'm guarding my heart. And another situation comes along. Some of y'all have had one of these happen recently. You're like, Paul, it wasn't just a pebble. It was a, fo- it was a 10 pound rock, but I'm guarding my heart. Are you okay? I'm good. Okay. You can get back at me after, after this service. Whatever you wanna do, you can punch me or whatever you need to do. Tim's like, I forgive you. <laughs> I forgive you. In the next service, he's not gonna sit on the front row. He's gonna have Drew do this for me. And then more stuff comes along. It's not just what they did to me, Paul, it's what they did to my kids. It's what they did to my mom. It's what they said. Paul, if I'm honest, the rocks are getting heavier and they're causing me to bend. This is what happens. An unguarded heart, all of a sudden, you got to keep it all. You can't even stand up. It's got you so bent over. Bitterness affects your posture. There's moments in the Bible where Jesus encounters people, and they're just like this because of what life has done to them. I just couldn't let it go. I couldn't. What my ex did to me. I couldn't let it go. What the religious people did to me, here Stephen is surrounded by religious people who are supposed to be protecting him and they are killing him with their words. You go, I may not have, Paul, I've never killed anyone. Yeah, you may never have killed anyone with your actions, but maybe you've killed them with your words. Maybe you've killed them with your thoughts. Some of you have thought about murdering somebody. I know. You go, how does he know that? How's he reading my thoughts? I just know because we're human. When someone really hurts us, we start thinking thoughts. If I could put your thoughts up on the screen when you have been hurt the most by somebody and you are all by yourself in the car and you are imagining things. Y'all are like, don't put that up on the screen. (laughs) It's rated R. Don't put it up on the screen. So how do I... How do I get rid of this? Forgiveness allows me to start unpacking the stones. Forgiveness allows me to say, God, what they did was wrong, but I'm choosing to bring it to the altar. I'm choosing not to let this affect me. I'm not going to carry this. In fact, I'm going to take off this backpack. What if a guarded heart has nothing in front of it except the blood of Jesus. What if a guarded heart is not wearing armor right here, but just the breastplate of righteousness to say his mercy has has given me so much love. His grace has empowered me through so much of my own sin. How could I not offer forgiveness for what Jesus has given to me? So when rocks come, because they will come, You go, well, what do I do when rocks come? If I don't have a backpack, what do I do with the rocks? Would you just stand right here, Tim? I'm not gonna hurt you. (laughs) When a rock comes to someone who's not got a pocket, because if you got pockets, the rocks will fall in there. But when you, Tim doesn't have any pockets on his shirt. When there's no pockets, it hits and it falls off. It hits and it falls off like water off a duck's back. Rhino hide, heart of a dove. I purpose in my heart to walk in love because I am a forgiven, loved believer. Give Tim a big hand. Guarding your heart is not letting people treat you like trash, it's just choosing that you are not going to carry resentment towards those people who hurt you. Anyone in this room been hurt by somebody? Anybody need to forgive those people? Yeah. Because unforgiveness is like drinking poison. You're going down. You're going to die for that. I'm unhinged because of what they did. You're going to. Y'all ever seen Princess Bride where the guy, you know, he's like sitting across Montoya? You go, Montoya, you kill my father. Prepare to die. And that guy's drinking the poison. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Anyone grow up on Princess Bride? That's a classic. And he dies from the poison. That's what happens. When I don't forgive you, it hurts me more than it hurts you. It hurts me. It robs me of life. It robs me of joy. It robs me of peace. So Joseph sees them and look at Genesis 45 verse 1. Finally, he can't handle it any longer. And Stephen's talking about this right before he's about to die. Stephen's giving a sermon on forgiveness. In Genesis 45, verse 1, Joseph could no longer control his emotions in front of all the attendants. So he says, everyone leave except my brothers. In other words, this confrontation does not need to be in front of everybody else. There's no reason for everyone else to see the pain that I'm walking through. This is between me and the people who offended me. You don't have to blast it on Facebook. You don't have to make a blast on social media of what people did to you. Well, Paul, they need to pay for it. So I'm going to tell the whole world. How, How is that? We want our world to get better. But when we add to the noise of pain, it only gets worse. So we've gotta learn, where do I take my pain? Do I take my pain to Instagram, Facebook? Where do I take my hurt? Where do I take my church hurt? Where do I take my family hurt? Where do I take my trauma? Where do, I, do I just tell the whole world, just blast it and wait for comments and likes so that I feel better about myself? That doesn't bring healing either. The only place where healing can happen is between you and God, and if there's a chance, between you and the person who offended you. And sometimes you don't get that chance. Sometimes it's just you and God. But Joseph has the chance and he begins to weep so loud that the Egyptians can hear his tears, but they can't hear his whispers. And Joseph says, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? His brothers could not even speak. They were terrified in his presence. Joseph said, come close to me. Come close to me. Come close to me, see my scars, see what happened. And he says, don't be depressed, don't be distressed, don't be angry with yourselves. Look what Joseph says. Don't be angry with yourselves. You sold me, but God saved me. You tried to get rid of me, but God sent me ahead of you to provide for you. And I forgive you. Somebody say, I forgive you. Joseph threw his arms around his brothers and he began to weep on Benjamin. And then from Benjamin, he kissed each of his brothers, weeping over them, hugging them, saying, I forgive you. I forgive you. Here's what forgiveness does. In the process of forgiveness, it rewires the memories. It doesn't make what they did okay, but it changes the memory from negative to positive. He said, you intended to harm me, but God turned it for good. You intended to kill me. You thought this was going to end me. You thought I'd commit suicide after this. You thought I'd never get back into, into what God's called me to do. But God used what you did to me to purify me, to purge me, to grow me, to build my character, to strengthen me in the pit. God used what the enemy meant to take me out for my good. Forgiveness helps me to look at something that was so painful and go, God used it. Somebody say, God used it. Can God use the painful things in your life? He's not the author of your trauma, but he is the healer. He's not the author of your pain. He's your healer. Last night after service, this elderly woman came forward and she brought her young. I thought was her daughter. And she says, this is my great niece. I'm her great aunt. I've basically raised her. And as I was talking to both of them, she said the, the, the uh, great aunt, she said, I've experienced so much pain from my ex-husband. And she said, if I only told you just a fraction of it, it's a movie. What's happened to me? She said, tonight God just started turning my heart to forgive him. And then the the great niece, she starts crying and she says, uh, she says, My dad abused me when I was little, sexually, physically, and emotionally. And she said, We drive here from Chakota as much as we can, an hour and a half drive, two or three times a month. By the way, I'm so thankful for people who drive 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 miles to come to Victory Church. Y'all, this is a special place. People will get up early to get here, driving from Kansas to come to church here. And they said, "We, we drive here." And um, she said, "I've been abused." She said, "I could not forgive my dad." And I said, I am getting as far the blank away from him as possible." And she said, and because I didn't forgive him, I married a guy who ended up being just like him. She said, my husband was abusive, physically, emotionally, verbally, all of it. She said, I got pregnant with our first baby. And within a few months, he left me for another woman. And she said, I was so mad. My heart literally had problems. I was rushed to the hospital. I had to have open heart surgery, and I lost the baby at five months. She said, this was all right before COVID hit. Once COVID hit, the depression just came hard. My husband was gone. My baby was gone. She said, my dad died that same time that my baby died. And he never apologized. She said, we went to court fighting for what he did to me and my sister. And he denied everything, never apologized, never owned any of it. And then he died. And she said, he got away with it and she said tonight i was just reminded of the importance of forgiveness forgiveness she says i'm so glad that you said it was a process that it wasn't a one time thing cuz she said i've been trying and she said you know what god's done a work in my heart cuz i've 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 been on a path of forgiveness she said tonight was just another part of that path She said, I want to go to Bible college. Do you guys have a Bible college? I said, yeah, Victory Bible College. She said, God's given me a testimony. Someday I'm going to minister to other women. Someday I'm going to share my story of what God's done in me. What forgiveness does is it sets me free of the poison because some people will never apologize for what they did. Some people will never. No one can fully calculate what they've done to you. So Stephen tells this story. And he says, Joseph forgave them. Go back to Acts chapter seven. Not only did he forgive them, but he gave them houses. He gave them food in a famine. He provided for them. And, And in Acts chapter seven, it says from here, the whole family, 75 in all, verse 14, came. And even Jacob, the father of Joseph, came down to Egypt, living 17 years with Joseph. And and, and their bodies were brought back to Sheshem. In other words, Joseph forgave his brothers, took care of them, took care of all their children, their grandchildren. Talk about radical forgiveness. Some of you are like, I can forgive them, but don't ask me for a dime because I know what you did. But Joseph not only forgave them, but paid for their houses, paid for their food, took care of their kids. And y'all go, that's just too radical for me. But yet Joseph lived a blessed life. This is why Jesus said in Matthew 5, verse 7, Blessed are the merciful. We are blessed when we walk in mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Jesus said, When you pray, every time you pray, pray these words Our Father who art in heaven, if you want to say it with me, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. On earth, as it is in heaven, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive. All right, stop right there. Stop right there. Y'all are like, wait a minute. Why did he sneak that line in there? Forgive me as I forgive fill in the blank. Lord, forgive me the way that I forgive her. And God goes, you sure about that? Because the way you forgave her is probably not the way you want me to forgive you. Lord, forgive me the way that I forgive whoever is responsible for these high gas prices right now. Quick trip. And God goes, I've heard what you've said under your breath about whoever is responsible for this. You sure you want me to forgive you the way you forgive him? The way you forgive the government, the president, the way you forgive... They don't deserve your forgiveness. So Peter asks this question when he's talking to Jesus, he says, how many times do I have to forgive someone? Jesus says, seven times 70. Peter says, I was thinking only seven times. Seven times, that's pretty generous. Then we get to cancel them, cut them off, excommunicate them from church, never allow them back into our lives, be totally done with them forever, wish that they would burn in hell. Jesus says, no. I say, forgive them seven times 70. Peter goes, 490 times. Jesus says, no. In other words, you can't put a limit on forgiveness because the Greek word for forgiveness means to exhale. In other words, if you want to forget, if you don't want to forgive, you're choking yourself. How long can you hold your breath? How long can you, Hold your breath, right? Our kids, we always have this competition. How long can I hold my breath underwater? Hold my breath. Don't exhale. Don't, don't, don't come up for air. Don't get your air back. It kills you. Eventually, you pass out or you die. Jesus says, if you want to keep living, you got to keep on breathing, which means you got to keep on forgiving. Inhale the mercy. Exhale the mercy. Inhale his forgiveness for you because you know you need it. You know you've messed up. You need his forgiveness. And as much as you inhale it, let it out breathe out the forgiveness of God on others. If you've inhaled it, exhale it. If you've got all that air inside for you, because when you miss it, you want grace. When your kids miss it, you're hoping the teacher gives them grace. When your friends that are close to you that you'll fight for when they miss it, you you're okay with grace. But when somebody wrongs you, you're like no grace for them. And God says, as much as you need it, give it away. As much as you need that forgiveness, how do I forgive? Number one, I've got to remember what I've been forgiven of by God. Everybody say, remember, remember, remember what you've been forgiven of by God. Number two, reflect on how Jesus forgave those who killed him and all of us of our sin. In Luke 24, Jesus said, father from the cross, while he's dying, while people are making fun of him, mocking him, putting a spear in his side, putting wine to his mouth, telling him that he's a heretic, he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Father, reflect on how Jesus forgave people and even said they're ignorant of how much pain they've caused. Because some of us in the room, we go, they know how much, no, people don't fully know how much pain they've caused. They don't, we don't. Jesus says, I forgive them because I believe they don't even realize what they've done. Reflect on how Jesus forgave those. If Jesus forgave, if anyone in the room has been crucified before, then you can maybe be on the same side, but none of us in this room have ever hung on a cross before, yet Jesus did, and in hanging on a cross, he forgave people and even said they know not what they do. Thirdly, how do I forgive? I recite the Lord's prayer and I pause on the part about forgiveness. I just get there and I go, Lord, forgive me as I forgive. And again, it's a process. I got to keep saying it. I got to keep speaking it by faith. Forgiveness is a faith act, by the way. Doesn't mean you have to feel it. Doesn't mean that it's all perfect, but you just go by faith. I forgive them by faith. I release them. Number four, I release the need to see people suffer or pay for. I want the band to come out. I release the need to see people suffer or pay for it. Some of us in the room, we would go, I forgive them, but I want to see them suffer. I forgive them, but I need to see them die for what I want them to burn in hell for what they did. Y'all are like, he is being way too honest up on stage. If I don't talk about it here, CNN's going to keep talking about it with another shooting. Fox News is going to dissect it. And I think the church needs to really dive into where do all of these murderous thoughts come from? Where where does all of this hostility, where do all the church splits and the division and the strife, what got the book of Acts, what got them the blessing of God and what caused the pain to happen in their church? It was all anger, unforgiveness. Even when later on in in the book of Acts, Paul has a dispute with Mark. They literally get in like this fight. They never wanna talk to each other again. They're just like, I'm done, right? And Barnabas is fighting for their hearts to be reconciled to each other. In the book of Acts, there's moments where the disciples get in sharp disputes with each other, with other religious leaders. There's hurt, there's anger, there's strife. And Jesus said, there's going to be offenses. It it is inevitable to go to church, to be around flawed humans, flawed Christians, and not experience hurt and offense. That's going to happen. But what you do with it will determine the blessing you walk in or the blessing you reject. Ultimately, unforgiveness... (laughs) Keeps us in chains. And when I have unforgiveness, I'm literally wrapping myself up up in chains. And Drew, this time I'll put it on you instead of Tim. Tim's like, not me again. Will you hold this side? And I'm saying, man, I wanna move forward. I wanna go forward into God's calling. Here's what bitterness does it entangles me. It entangles me. And I'm trying to move forward. I want you to just pull, Drew. I'm trying to move forward towards my destiny, but I'm still chained to my history of what someone did to me. Paul, I'm trying to move forward, and I just can't figure out why I'm not happy. I just can't figure out why, why all my relationships are, are not good. I can't figure out why I can't be peaceful. I can't figure out why I can't sleep at night. In Acts chapter 8, there's a guy who gets saved, Simon the sorcerer. And he tries to pay to get the power of God. And Peter rebukes him. He says, you cannot buy the power of God. It is not for sale. But then he says this. Go to eight, chapter 8, verse 20. 24, actually. I don't have my, I, my Bibles over there. <laughs> verse 23. No, no, no. Don't let me get it, Drew. Keep me back. There it is. Peter says this. I see that you are in the gall of bitterness. Your version might say, your heart is trapped in bitterness. John Bevere calls offense the bait of Satan. The, the Greek word for offense is scandalon, which means a trap. It is a trap to carry an offense towards people, to carry hurt, to carry on. And it traps you and it chains you, so you can't move forward. The only way to get out of the gall of bitterness, the only way for these guys to be free of greed and hurt, anger says, you owe me, you owe me. The only way to be free of the you owe me mentality is to say, no, you don't owe me because Jesus has paid the price. He's paid the price and I forgive you and I receive his forgiveness as much as I need it. I've got to release it. You no longer owe me anger says you owe me you owe me an apology you owe me my life you owe me a year back for what you stole from me and yet forgiveness goes no no that was a painful year but God used what the enemy meant for harm to do something deep inside my spirit and and what was supposed to end me what was supposed to kill me what was I got unwrapped I got un." Raveled from the chains of my past, so I'm no longer attached to my past. I can now move forward. Forgiveness sets you free. Forgiveness unlocks your future. Forgiveness unlocks. Watch what happens in, in Acts chapter 7. At the end of Stephen's life, I'm almost done. Give me like one more minute. Um, at, in verse 57, at the end of Stephen's sermon, the religious people covered their ears, yelling at the top of their voices, unhinged. This is we're, we're in the we're in an age of outrage. People have lost. They no longer have a short fuse. They don't have a fuse at all. Whether it's on social media or in real life action, we're seeing this play out the age of outrage. They dragged Stephen out of the city. Witnesses of the shooting said there was murder in their eyes. You could feel the anger in their eyes. We just prayed for a family who just lost five kids to a homicide in Houston, Texas, because someone walked into a house and killed five people all in the same family, a 10-year-old, a 13-year-old, a 15-year-old, a mom and a dad. The age of outrage has plagued so many people. Anger has gripped people. They dragged Stephen out of the city and they begin to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses were laying their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning Stephen, Stephen looked up to heaven and said, God, receive my spirit. He fell on his knees and he cried out. I wonder if Saul was listening, what Stephen would say. If Stephen would scream, Lord, make them pay for what they did. Send them to hell for this. Make them die for this. Make their kids, you know, like Davidic psalm prayers. Make everybody pay for this. But instead, Stephen says, Lord, don't hold this sin against them. What if Stephen's forgiveness was a seed towards Saul's future? What if Stephen's forgiveness was what would later unravel Saul's heart of bitterness so he would become the most influential writer in the the New Testament, writing 13 books, Saul would later become Paul the apostle, and I believe this moment where he witnessed Stephen forgiving his killers, forgiving those people who had rushed him out of the city. When he saw this, something was happening. I want you to stand your feet all over this room. You have no clue what forgiveness will do, not just for you, but for For everyone around you. Forgiveness is a gift to your life more than it is a gift to the person who hurts you. Forgiveness is not really a gift to someone who lets you down. Forgiveness is a gift to you. Forgiveness is setting a prisoner free only to realize the prisoner was you all along. It was me. Forgiveness builds up my mercy trust fund for the times in my future that I'll need forgiveness. We don't know when we're going to need it, but someday we will. And if we sow good seeds of mercy, we'll reap a harvest of mercy. I just felt like God wanted me to just finish the sermon with this story. And uh, I put it in my notes here. In Spain, there's a famous story, true story told of a father and a son who had gotten so angry at each other, they stopped talking for years, decades past the son had moved far away from the father and one day the father found it in his heart to forgive he set out to find his son he searched for him for many months with no success finally in desperation the father took out a newspaper ad and he put it all over spain and the ad on the front page said these words in big bold letters dear paco meet me in front of the newspaper office at noon this saturday All is forgiven. I love you, your father. On that upcoming Saturday, 800 men named Paco showed up in front of the newspaper office looking for forgiveness from their father. How many Pacos are just waiting for a dad to say, I forgive you, son. And why do we hold it back, dads? Don't we need forgiveness from God? And how many fathers are waiting for a son to say, I forgive you, dad? Sons, don't we need forgiveness? How many daughters, mothers are just waiting for someone to say, I forgive you? Lord, I pray that you would bring healing to hearts and homes today. God, Just begin to drain out the poison. Do heart surgery right now in this service. I pray, God, that you would pull out every weed, everything, every stone that's been sitting in our hearts. From what happened when we were young, what happened when we, even in the last week, what happened even this morning on the way to church. I pray, God, that we would be a church that is free of bitterness. Lord, a church that is full of love, acceptance, forgiveness. A church, God, that welcomes home the sinner. God, a church that chooses to walk in grace and mercy, lifting people up, getting down in the dust and saying, go and sin no more. Where are your accusers? Neither do I condemn you. I pray in Jesus' name, God, that we would walk in that mercy you preached about in the Beatitudes. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the meek in heart. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst in righteousness. Blessed are the Stevens. Blessed are those who say, do not hold this sin against them. Oh God, I pray that we would be full of radical forgiveness. Spirit, I pray God that you would birth the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, forbearance with one another. Kindness, gentleness, self-control, God. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I just want to give an opportunity for anyone in the room today that you just say, I need to let go of some things. I need to surrender some things at the altar. Maybe you need to forgive yourself. Maybe you're here today and you say, I need forgiveness. I need God's mercy. I need God's healing in my mind and heart. I've been walking through some things. I need to forgive some people who have hurt me. I need to get on a path of forgiveness. I'm not saying it's just going to be a one-time thing. I'm just saying maybe today is a step on the journey, a step towards healing. A step towards reconciliation, a step towards hope, a step towards restoration. If that's you today, I want you to raise your hand all over this room. You're saying, I need to show forgiveness. I need to receive forgiveness. I need to extend mercy. I need God's healing in my heart. If you raised your hand or you wanted to, would you leave your seat? Come and join me at this altar. If you got to run down here, if you got to walk fast, if you got to bring a family member, bring a son, bring your great niece, bring your aunt, bring your uncle, bring your wife, bring your husband, whatever. you got to do to say today i want the holy spirit to start healing areas in my heart where there has been unresolved conflict where there's been unresolved anger where there's been resentment where there's been stones that have been sitting there for years today today god i am releasing it today god i'm reciting the lord's prayer today i'm remembering the, the mercy that i need and today i'm choosing to exhale to breathe out to let it go. Today's the day of healing. Maybe you're here right now and you just say, I need to get right with God. I need to get down to that altar. I need prayer. I'm walking through some stuff. Come and join us. Maybe the sermon wasn't even for you today, it was for someone you know, but today you're here at church for such a time as this and God is calling you to get right with Him. If you need to surrender your heart to Jesus, come and join us at this altar. If you're here today and you say, Man, I have never given my heart to the Lord, I want to get saved today, come and meet us at the altar. Come on, God is moving in this service right now. Let's just take a few minutes before we dismiss just to let the Holy Spirit minister to those at this altar, in the room, online. Yeah, let's just sing this to God. Just take a minute just to worship Him.
1: your mercy triumphs over judgment the wider than arising stronger than i sí.
0: I just hear God saying I'm going to rewire the memories of what happened. This is what happened with Joseph when he started forgiving his brothers. He said this. He said, you betrayed me, but God gave me the grace to forgive you. You sold me as a slave, but now I see that God was sending me in front of you. You meant harm for me, but God. Turned it around for good. You, you thought you were going to end my life with this, but God used it to purge me, to purify my character. There were things that I needed to work on, and it's no longer your fault. I don't hold it against you. There was a girl who, whose dad had abused her and had done so many hurtful things to her, and she got saved when she was 17, left her, her house and moved away, and 10 years went by, and finally her dad got saved. I was telling the story last night, and this young girl was responding to that. But her dad got saved in her late 20s and called her and said, honey, I'm so sorry for what I did to you. I ruined your childhood. And he's just weeping, he says, please forgive me, please forgive me, please forgive me. Finally, he stopped talking and she said, dad, I forgave you. The day I gave my heart to Jesus, I started down a path of forgiving you. It's taken me a long time. She said, if I didn't answer this call, it would have meant that I didn't forgive you, but I answered this call and I'm still on the phone because I have chosen to forgive you. And her dad said, what can I do to pay you back? I'll do whatever I can to pay you back for the years that i ruined your life. She said, dad, it's too much for you to pay. Jesus paid it all. Jesus has paid the price that you cannot pay. Some of you have walked through horrendous pain at the, at the cost of other people. It has hurt you so bad. They don't even have the ability to pay you back for what they've done to you. But today, if you'll allow the Holy Spirit to get you on this path of forgiveness, you can begin to say, Jesus, you're paying the price. The blood of Jesus stands between you and that hurt, and now that hurt, that pain is being removed as far as the East is from the West. You, you still remember it, but you don't remember it with the same anger, the same hostility. Now you remember it like Joseph. The devil meant harm, but God turned it around for good. God gave me a testimony to help other women. God gave me a testimony to help other men. God used this to change some things in my life. He's not the author of the pain, but he is the healer. He's the one who knows how to rewire the memory. He's the one who knows how to get into the, the brain cells and the emotions. And instead of me looking back with anger and revenge, now I look back with grace and forgiveness and compassion. And now I'm involved in a healing process in other people's journeys because of what the holy spirit has done in me i'm able to help other men other women god says this isn't just for you this is for your children and your children's children and future generations today lord i pray god that you would begin that process in our hearts i just feel to pray for anyone in the room today that says paul i'm not right with god and i need to surrender my heart to jesus i need to give him my heart if that's you raise your hand today's your day to receive salvation forgiveness this is your day new beginning Man, I'm so thankful for what God is doing. He is saving lives in these services and online. I want us to pray this prayer. Just say, Jesus, I surrender to you. I repent of my sin. I receive your forgiveness. I believe you died on the cross. You rose from the dead. And I confess you as my Lord and Savior. Help me to forgive those who have hurt me. Holy Spirit, produce in me love, joy, Peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, compassion, forgiveness, I'm all yours, God. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Ashley, you got something?
2: Yeah, I was just thinking about those of you down here at this altar, as well as those of you who maybe didn't respond, but you recognize there are stones in your backpack, and this is such a great first step. And honestly, I wish that I could help um, pay for every single one of you down here to have professional counseling. Because the reality is, is there are some major stones in our life that we really cannot deal with on our own. And there's some specific situations. We have these moments of responding to the altar. And Paul mentioned the trauma that's represented. But man, when, it's, when it is it is. When it hurts, it is so difficult and it is easy to get confused of what we do with our hurt because it's so personal. It's so personal. And then when we don't know where to go, we just hold it in and I think this is an incredible first step to to remind or to step out of your seat what you just did down at the altar you you took a major step when we're dealing with hurt we feel like we're at a and we see z but we actually don't know how to get there and it's okay you just went from b to c from c to to D. And sometimes what happens, I know I'm not the only one. I respond in a moment. I forgive, God. I recognize I cannot receive your forgiveness if I don't forgive. But what happens is you wake up tomorrow and you're reminded of your hurt. And because you're hurt, you feel like you didn't forgive. But can I tell you, just because you forgive, it doesn't mean the sting went away. It just means some multiple moments, like Paul was saying today, we have to choose to, I forgive, fill in the blank. I forgive fill in the blank there's moments where people I feel like I forgave and then there's moments where I hear sermons like today I'm like man it does still sting and I have to say it in my seat I forgive this person because what the devil wants you to what the devil wants to do he wants you to misinterpret your hurt and he wants to convince you oh you didn't forgive them no don't allow the devil to steal what God is initiating in this moment just because you have to keep saying I forgive it doesn't mean that you're not on a path of forgiveness and so there's just a few things that I want to just tell you down here just to help you as much as I would love to be like hey everybody I think we all need a lot more therapy than we would like to admit And the reality is, I know that it's costly, but we have, we talked about today, we have some incredible groups. We have some groups led by some professional counselors. One of them, uh, Ethel down here leading grief recovery. I mean, that is huge. Grief, I lost my mom, whether it's loss of, of moms or whether it's loss of friendships, whether it's loss of time, whether it's loss of whatever it is. Grief, the cycles of grief is the same. And the reality is, is most of us get stuck in a step of grief and we need lifelines to pull us out. We have another one led by Pastor Maria Younger on Wednesdays and Sundays, a professional counselor. It's labeled overcoming addictions and that can be like, oh, I'm not addicted. But the reality is sometimes we really are addicted to pain, addicted to victim mentalities. And the reality is, is because we don't know how to get out. Can I tell you one of the best advice that I've ever gotten when it comes to dealing with pain is to buy the cheapest journal you can possibly get. A lot of us girls, we like to go get the, the, the cute ones, but the reality is the cute ones, we don't really completely vomit on there because we don't want to mess up the pretty papers and we want it all together. But just buy a 99 cent dollar general notebook and just release the emotion, get it out. Because can I tell you, when I feel stuck, it's because I'm not releasing the emotion. Because I feel bad for it. Because I should be over it. But you have, you can't just like, Paul mentioned today, forgiveness is a process. It's not just an event. But the reality is, it's sometimes it's easier. It's i don't want to undermine what you did at the altar today or undermine your steps but can i tell you that a lot sometimes it's easier to respond to a moment but actually forgiveness is the day-to-day work on your heart and your soul that's what's hard church that's what's hard the everyday, day-to-day work of your soul. But can I tell you, it's worth it. A healthy soul is worth the work that you have to do to, to tend to the gardens and the weeds of your heart. Because can I tell you, there are moments where I and a respond to an altar in a church service. And it was like, man, I am a professional weed whacker. I was just, just whacking those weeds in my heart, the enemies of the heart, and it feels great. And then I wake up and it's like the Amazon jungle again, all over again in my heart. It's the work of the soul. I, God, I forgave them. I forgave them. So releasing that emotion, because what happens church, can I tell you church, it's so heavy on my heart. My prayer, our prayer is that we would not just grow in spiritual maturity, but that we would grow in emotional maturity. And the reality is, is that church, we can get so used to quoting scriptures and that's great. You should do that. But that courage from Christ should be, should be uh, uh, it should be seen in our everyday ability. It takes courage to confront pain. Can I tell you, it takes courage to confront issues in our heart. But if we cannot suppress those emotions, did you know that that depression is just suppressed anger? If you can't find right places or learn how to release those emotions, get it all out, what happens is bitterness is just suppressed, suppressed pain. But you got to get it out. You got to ride it out. But we have a heavenly father who's not going to judge your Davidic prayers and issues in your journal. Because if you can't get it out with your heavenly father, you're going to take it out on someone else. You gotta be able to get it out with your heavenly father on that journal, get it out, not suppress the pain, not feel like, God, I should get over this because I've been a part of the church for however many years. No, it hurts, it hurts. You have a heavenly father that empathizes with your pain and he's not saying forgive and just get over it. No, he wants to walk you through a process. He really does, because so many of us in a church have a false view of God that is saying, hey, forgive, forgive, well, forgive and get over it. And so then we just feel like God is asking us just to act like everything's okay and that it didn't hurt. No, he's not asking you to deny. He's not asking you to ignore your pain. He's saying, I want to be invited into the painful spaces and I want to help you walk through it. But because as believers, as people, we don't know how to walk through it. We just go over it. We just go under it instead of walking through it. But church, we're going to walk through some things. And the Lord is going to teach us and we're going to call on lifelines to do that. And so just again, some practical steps out of this, because I know sometimes we can't maybe sign up for some professional counseling, maybe it's too expensive, but I have to tell you every day you have to choose to say out loud, I forgive this person. I forgive this person because what's going to happen is you're going to be triggered by something. It may have nothing to do with that specific situation, but you're going to be triggered and you have to know I'm on a forgiving path. I forgive this person and then journal it out. Dollar General is going to go out, going to run out of journals after church because y'all are going to go get them and you're just going to, or the Victory Bookstore. I'm sorry, but you can't, you can't, yes, if you have an extra dollars, you can do that, but it's just hard to be Dollar General. It's a dollar. You know what I'm saying? And so just write it out, this person, this person, about God, whatever it is, release the emotion. It's amazing what happens when you release that emotion instead of suppress it. And then Get involved in a group. Get godly people around you to help you sort out your stones. Just because you have these stones, you cannot deal with it on your own. You need somebody who doesn't have skin in your game in your life. Say, no, let us let me sort this. No, that was hurtful. Let me empathize with that pain. And church, let's get better at empathizing with each other. Let's get better at having empathy and, and being there and feeling the pain and grieving with those who grieve and rejoicing with those who rejoice and then surround in prayer. But let's fill the emotion with them. Let's fill, because there's healing with that. So I just felt so impressed. I'm so amazed what God wants to do here. Um, But in my heart for us to grow, not just spiritually, but emotionally, we've gotta have some practical, tangible grips because what happened right here is absolutely amazing. The sermon today was was so good. And I don't want the devil to try to. To steal it because he's trying to convince you that just because it still might hurt that nothing happened because absolutely something was initiated this morning.
0: Amen. You just brought it home. Come on. Thank you, Ashley. How many of y'all received that today? All right. We love you. God bless you.